Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, John 9, 5. A couple of weeks ago, we heard about the transfiguration and that Jesus' clothes became as white as the light. Imagine, if you will, the brightest light you can, a football field floodlit for an evening game, a dark, empty stage coming alive with a spotlight, the first fire of the Easter vigil at the back of a darkened church. Now imagine Christ's light in the world, the truth of his word. My Texan and I go to a meeting in the evenings, and for the past six months it's been dark both ways. Then the clocks changed, and the last time we made the journey, the sun was still out. I was confused and disoriented. I didn't see anything I recognized. Even the distance seemed further. You see, we'd been driving through the countryside of East Texas, and the darkness had been complete. There were no street lamps. I could see nothing but blackness before. And now, as we were driving along the same roads in daylight, there were trees, grass, haystacks and cows. Of course, they were all there all the time, only the dark had covered them. When Jesus tells the disciples, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day, the night is coming when no one can work, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When we see the world through Jesus, it's different. Nothing can hide from his light. In the darkness of the world, we're blind until we accept our Saviour and see. This Lent, as we look forward to commemorating the gift that keeps on giving, let's turn on the brights and see our lives as God would have them, not as we would have them. Hello. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny and I'm here to dispel the preconceived ideas many have about what educating our children at home looks like. For many, it's school. For me, it's my fulfillment as a wife and mother. I crafted a lifestyle that will leave me knowing, without a doubt, that I gave my all and am pretty pleased. Over the years, I've spoken to a wide range of mothers and fathers who not only place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy, but have also found they don't have to venture far from the kitchen table in order to find wholeness within themselves. Going against what everyone expects us to do in order to unleash the fount of happiness takes courage. You have to work at your own heart's issues and find out how you can pursue your passions and live your dreams. God has equipped you with everything you need to live your life fully. It's all within. So listen up while I spout on about how I've jumped in and out of my box, gaining insights and delights along the way that I'm happy to share with you. I enjoy the diversity of the culture we call homeschooling, an umbrella term embracing the learning that takes place outside the traditional education arena and inside all of us. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, always busy, and sometimes frustrating, but for me it always starts and ends with God. The beauty of his creation, a smiling face, the rising moon, a rousing piece of music, or a simple hug. 
If you pop by, I'll offer you a cup of PG tips to fortify this time together and a chocolate biscuit to tickle your taste buds and thank you for staying. But I understand you're on that side and I'm over here broadcasting from Richardson, Texas this week. After the first break, Brenda Nixon will be joining me. She and I last talked a couple of years ago while she was a fellow host on Toginet Radio. Brenda's life has taken quite a shift. She's still a parenting expert, but now her skills extend to teenagers from a closed faith order. She's coming up after my first break, so you'll want to stick around. I'm all set, so grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNennies, where we enjoy a unique lifestyle, have survived another big move, are catching up with our children's careers and looking forward to the future. Are you ready? The day before we made the move, a week ago, it poured with rain and there were high winds. The sky turned a kind of greenish-yellow while the sun was trying to break through, and it was really quite beautiful. At the house, we didn't get quite the weather other parts of the area were getting, and my cowboy and I headed off to Stations of the Cross outside. And as I got out of the car at the church, the clouds were hovering, and I said, Well, I'm so glad I don't have to make the decision about whether to do the stations outside. It wasn't raining yet, but a large black cloud was overhead. Along came our priest and we began the prayer walk, making it about halfway before the raindrops stopped being intermittent and became steady. Stations was going on inside the church as well, so we were able to go and join them and we missed only one of the stations. The following day, the move, we were all set. The morning dawned clear and sunny and the weather was perfect. My mother-in-law had been working hard on deciding what she was going to take from her 30 years of living at the ranch and we filled our two cars to the brim and sat down and waited for the contingency from Dallas to arrive with the truck for the few items that were a little big for the inside of a car. It took us all of 20 minutes to finish. We had a small break before heading off to town. My mother-in-law admitted it was odd to think that she was walking out of the house for the last time, especially as lots of her furniture was still in there no tears yet. I had the job of following, which I apparently did quite well. I drove by myself and prayed and sang the whole way. We made it in one piece in time for lunch at the receiving end. We unpacked and as we were leaving to head back to Lindale for the last time to pack up our belongings, my mother-in-law sat on her bed a little overwhelmed. Thank goodness for my very tender-hearted sister-in-law. She was going to spend the afternoon helping her sort things out. Thank God for both of them, actually, for opening up their house to her. It would have been very difficult to leave East Texas knowing that my mother-in-law was going to be all alone when the time came for my blue-eyed cowboy and I to start moving forward in our lives. So God's hand was definitely in this move. We'd all prayed that she'd be able to enjoy a new and fruitful life closer to family. And hopefully she will make friends and join a couple of church groups. I have to go on my first break now and I will be back in just a moment with my guest, Brenda Nixon. So don't go far. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. 
Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. You're listening to The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet Radio, and I'm delighted to introduce you to my guest this week, Brenda Nixon. When we last spoke two years ago, Brenda was hosting her own radio show, The Parents Plate, here on Toginet, where she blended practical parenting tips with child development. Brenda's an unusual and popular keynote speaker at events and workshops in more than 10 states. She's appeared on local and syndicated radio shows and TV. Speaking aside, Brenda is also an author of many books, including the award-winning The Birth to Five book, Miracles and Moments of Grace, as well as co-authoring a scrapbook of Christmas firsts. She's contributor to 30 titles, including several in the New York Times best-selling Chicken Soup for the Soul series. Today, we're airing the first in a two-part series about her experiences with the ex-Amish, how she and her husband have opened their hearts and homes to Amish transitioning into English life. Brenda, welcome back to my show this afternoon. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you again. All right. So, Brenda, a lot has changed with you since we last spoke. Um, so yeah. tell, us, tell us a little bit about what's been happening in your family. Um, well, I was hosting the Parents Plate radio show, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. and then I was asked to adjunct instruct at a university, a class on parenting and family development. Mm -hmm. So I went on hiatus as far Mm -hmm. as hosting the radio program. And that's been a year ago. And my schedule just has not permitted me to go back to hosting the parents play, although Mm -hmm. listeners can still look it up and listen to some great topics. Mm -hmm. But um, aside from that, into our life and home and heart, has come many of those leaving the Schwarzentruber order of Amish. And mm-hmm. the Schwarzentruber is visible, but very mysterious and very uh, misunderstood. They are one of the strictest orders of Amish. Mm-hmm. And we've been meeting and loving and help, helping those who want to leave that order and become English, which is their definition for anybody who's not Amish. Right, so Brenda, I know a little bit about the Amish way of life. Well, I don't really know anything 
hands-on about the Amish way of life, but just what I've seen and, and read maybe, that it's a plain life, there's a gentle pace, and they do things the old-fashioned way is the way we, we see it, I think. Um, it's something a lot of us, I know in my life, as, as I'm becoming an, an empty nester, that I'm striving for simplicity. So to me, it might look a little bit attractive and a little bit romantic. And before you met the Amish, what did you think about them? Because I, I know, I'm sure your perception has changed. Well, it's interesting. I was one of those who was very neutral. Mm-hmm. I neither criticized them nor romanticized them. Mm-hmm. I just... They were just a part and uh, of, you know, our community. And I do live in, in Ohio, which mm-hmm. has the largest number of Amish settlements nationwide. And so I see them on a daily basis in mm-hmm. their buggies. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I mean, when you when you see them all the time, you just, you know, experience them and treat them as a part of your community. So I didn't have a strong opinion either way. And I've never read a bunch of those Amish romance fictions mm-hmm. so I, I didn't know too much but we do see them we see them all the time other people see them uh, there's TV shows about them but it's so very complex once you get behind the curtain of what you really see it's extremely complex and simple is really an antithesis mm-hmm. of their life mm-hmm. it's a very complicated life with multi-rules and multi-behaviors and dynamics involved. So how did you become involved directly with the Amish? Uh, was it something? Well, yeah, okay, go ahead and tell us. Um, it, originally, uh, my two daughters were attending a church, mm-hmm. and it was a church different than my husband and I attended. And my two daughters would come home and tell us about the X-Men. And, you know, they would just humorously call them the X-Men. And I'm like, well, who are they? And and my daughters explained, oh, it was a group, about five young men, mm-hmm. uh, mostly teenagers. Some of them were in maybe their early 20s. And they had all left the Amish. Mm-hmm. And another word for that is fence jumpers. Yeah. <laughs> they jumped the fence. Uh-huh. And um, my daughters would tell me all about them. And they would tell me about, you know, going to parties or bonfires with them and some of the ways they behaved and things that they said and did the stories they told of growing up. And and I said, well, that sounds like like a charming group of young men. And I said, I'll have them over for dinner some Sunday. And sure enough, we arranged a Sunday afternoon for these young men, along with my daughter to come for Sunday dinner. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, those boys ate, they ate and ate and ate and ate. And Uh I just got acquainted with them. And I just instantly fell in love with them. Uh, they were hard workers. They were kind. They were honest. Mm-hmm. They they were good boys. They'd come in the house and they'd remove their shoes. Right. They wouldn't even walk on the carpet in their shoes. And and I don't know a lot about young men because I raise daughters. Mm-hmm. So that's you know right there is a learning curve having a bunch of boisterous farm boys in my house. Mm-hmm. But after that, I started getting better acquainted with one or two at a time. And then we discovered that one of those who had come over had left his Amish farm and settlement in upstate New York Mm -hmm. only a few months prior. Mm -hmm. His name was Moses, which is a common Amish name. And uh, we call him Mm Mosey for short. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. Mosey's parents actually had written him a letter 
saying he was not welcome back, even for a funeral or a wedding. Mm. He was uh, not welcome at all unless he planned to return and remain Amish. Mm. Because in their culture, they believe if you leave the fold, you are going to hell. There is no, no hope for you. And so his family was, in essence, shunning him. Mm-hmm. And um, when I heard that, my heart just broke. I mean, any mother would, would say, oh, you know, a young 18-year-old boy needs a mother and a father. You know, he needs somebody to believe in him and to love him and to be proud of him. And so I said, well, if they don't want him, we'll take him. Mm-hmm. And my daughter went and told Mosey, my mom and dad want to adopt you. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is not a legal adoption. It's more one of a heart because mm-hmm. it's, biological parents are living and mm-hmm. he was uh, of age but uh, we got better and better acquainted with Mosey and then we asked him one day would you like for us to be your English parents mm-hmm. and he said I would like that mm-hmm. and, and so we went through many experiences with Mosey and then eventually some months later he moved in with us mm-hmm. and lived with us for a year mm-hmm. and very hard worker uh, very industrious Uh, you know, motivated. And by living with him every single day, Vivian, I had opportunity to ask, you know, intimate questions Mm -hmm. and hear stories and earn his trust Mm -hmm. and and learn about his Schwartz and Trouber order of Amish. Mm -hmm. Well, at the same time, my daughter, my other daughter, uh, she started dating one of the Mm X-Men and she ended up marrying Marrying him, and mm-hmm. he likewise is from the Schwartz and Truber Order of Amish. In fact, his father is a bishop, mm-hmm. and he's the baby of 12 children, right. and he's his father's namesake. And so now I've got two in my life, and then, of course, they have friends and they have cousins, and so more and more keep coming into our home. And uh, some we became very close to and ha- uh, hosted them for holidays and always gave them a home away from home. And some just passed through for a, a meal and a mom hug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and um, so the first one, Moses, he came, you said, from upstate New York. And then your son-in-law, yeah. did he come from that local Amish community that yours, that you were seeing you know, in your community? Yes, he, yes. Uh, our son-in-law grew up in Ohio. Okay, and and the the boy who left up in New York, did he come straight to Ohio, or what did he do? I mean, once they leave, are, is there a group of them that leave, or do some of them leave individually? How do they? How does that work? Well, among the Schwartz and Trubers, there is none of that Rumspringa stuff that people think is so common, you know, that year of running around with Schwartz and Trouber, you either stay or go. There's no in between. And so they leave individually at night. They literally sneak out for fear of being stopped. Mm -hmm. And our son, Mosey, he left at night. He walked along a country road by himself at night. And when he got to an English neighbor's home, he asked to use the telephone and he called another young man who had also left the Amish, but this man now had a car. And so he drove to pick up Mosey and brought him to Ohio. And that's where our lives intersected. Right. So what kind of work do they do while they're, while they're um, trying to find their feet? Well, of course, I always say they're born with a hammer in their hand. Mm -hmm. They're very construction oriented and um, very Mm hands-on general laborers. Many of them know quite a bit about farming. Mm-hmm. Many of them know about cabinet making. 
Um, so some of them will, well, like Mosey, for example, he got a job immediately on a construction crew and then he got into working at a very large horse farm and then he started learning how to be a farrier and take care of, uh, you know, the horse's hooves and stuff. Um, now he's back to construction. He builds pole barns and he also, uh, uh puts roofs on, uh, houses and, and buildings. Uh, my son-in-law, he immediately started out in construction as well. Uh, they're so good at building. Mm-hmm. Um, he now is uh, working with a flooring company, my son-in-law is, and he does all the bookkeeping, the budgeting, the bill paying for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another son just last year who moved in, into our heart and life and calls us his English mom and dad. And <laughs> likewise, he's... Uh, working um for a man who who builds houses and our this other son his name is monroe he does all the finish work so he'll go in and do all the trim and finish work uh but prior to that he was working for a uh tool rental store Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now you you say that the uh schwartz and truber amish order is the most insular of the orders and if these if these young men and probably women are wanting to leave, what is it about the order? Because obviously it's been going on for generations. Their fa- you know their whole families have been a part of these communities. What is happening to um, you know cause this this you know sort of exodus, if you may, or has it always been going on? Just just in we haven't heard about it so much. Well, I would guess, of course, I can only speak from the last five years of experience, but mm-hmm. I would guess it's always been going on. Okay. And I say that because I know adults now who left Amish 20 and 30 years ago. Okay. Okay. I just didn't know them yeah. then. Yeah. So um, in speaking of the last five years and the young men who are part of our life, and, and there's one gal named Sarah, um, it just would take more than a radio show to explain, but... The rules are so incriminating. The rules are just so intense. Um, the way your hair must be cut, it, you will get in trouble if it's shorter or longer. Mm. If you need glasses, you must wear round frames. There's no freedom of choice of what mm-hmm. kind of glasses to wear. Um, you, uh, the females may not wear a bra. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're told what kind of underwear mm-hmm. they must wear. How many pleats are in their apron and their cap? What kind of a cap to wear during the day? What kind of cap to wear um, when you go to church? What kind of a bonnet to wear? Um, the the thickness of the soles of your shoes is dictated. The type of clothes you wear is dictated. The colors you wear. Um, if you smoke, uh, the ordnung tells you what brands you can smoke. I mean, every tiny detail of your life, how you decorate your home is dictated to you with no freedom of choice, no creativity. Uh, Mosey told me one time he was building a a barn with his father and he put in a window and he had arched the top of the window Mm -hmm. and the bishop rode by and saw that it was arched. Well, that's too much creativity that, Mm -hmm. that differs from the square window Mm -hmm. that is required. So uh, the bishop made him pull it out and replace the window. Uh, it's just incredible, incredible mm-hmm. rules. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up um, 
I was sent to a boarding school when I was a child. Um, in England, it's a common thing to do it. We didn't go because we'd done anything wrong. And um, the nuns there were under the same kind of discipline, rule, if you will. You know, you're talking about the pleats and the, the, you know, they wear their bonnets in a certain way. And in the summer, they can do this. And in the winter, it's these shoes and all of that stuff. And so it sounds like that. And I think how, how restrictive for young children. But I mean, I wonder why it hasn't moved on with the times. Is that a choice? Obviously, it is, is is a choice, or is it is it a dictate that came from like the seventeen hundreds or whenever they first moved here from Germany? Is it where they came from originally? Well, yeah, it, it started out of the Anabaptist movement hmm. as actually a break away from the ruling uh, Roman Catholic okay. uh, religion. Okay, and uh, yeah, they uh, German Sweden uh, those countries they migrated over, mm-hmm. and. Um, I think today they value tradition more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And our son-in-law will say, as a child growing up, he'd ask, well, why do I have to do that? Or why do I have to do that? His father, the bishop, would say, it's our way. That was the only explanation. Mm -hmm. Even the adults don't get it. They don't understand why they do what they do, but they follow the rules because any freedom of thought, any creativity – any independence is frowned upon. Mm-hmm. And uh, like when they have church services and churches pronounce Gamea and when they have Gamea every other Sunday, it's very solemn. You're not even supposed to laugh in church. You can get in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. And when you get in trouble, you have to make a public confession in church and then you'll still be punished, maybe through uh, being put in the ban, which is a temporary shun. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a, a punitive uh, conformity, they, solidarity. They don't allow for any independence, which I don't know. I think, I think knowing how God created everybody with such unique personalities and the variety of trees, the variety, variety of flowers and birds. I mean, God welcomes variety and difference. So I just, I myself don't get it mm-hmm. why the Amish as a whole, as a whole, believe everything has to be the same and has to have unity. Because to me, that's the antithesis of God's creation. Yeah, and especially as they fled from, um, you know, religious Europe, prosecution yeah. in the first place. And I can, I un- yeah, and I can understand a community, like a religious community that I was talking about, because it was a convent where I was, it was Roman Catholic, and these women chose to join and they right. had choices they could leave after a certain amount of time um and if, if it didn't if it didn't suit them but raising your whole family like that i would imagine unless there was some nice you know sort of gentle changes through the years and yes i i'm all for keeping tradition but there's a you know there there is a time and a place for that i mean i'm sure you celebrate christmas that's the tradition you've probably got family traditions and you know those are healthy mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh some of these so these young people are leaving and their um communities i suppose are suffering from having their young people leave and brenda we have to go on a really short break here okay. and we'll be back in just a moment Right. how do you handle toddlers teens and tirades when homeschooling that's what we're working on now it's vivian mcninney the sociable homeschooler and we'll be right back after these 
Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's baby and toddler instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, Brenda, we're talking about your Amish adopted sons that you have in your home. Do you have any girls there? One girl that um, I'm very well acquainted with, I actually went and picked her up at Walmart the night she left her family. Yeah. Her name is Sarah. Okay. And um, she lives with you in the house with the with the others? You, do you have this huge house with lots of bedrooms? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't have a huge house. I just have a huge mom heart. Uh-huh. Um, actually, Sarah is living with another uh, man and wife, mm-hmm. and she's not living here. Now, I did put her up a couple of nights, but uh, she never lived with us like Mosey and Monroe did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... When your daughter first married, well, when your daughter married um, her husband, um, how did you feel about that, and how did his family feel about that? Well, uh, my husband and I felt very good about this young man. His name is Harvey, and uh, very industrious, hardworking, honest. Um, I don't know. We just knew it clicked. We knew Mm -hmm. it was right. Mm -hmm. We felt good about it. His parents, however being the 12th child and the mm-hmm. baby and his father's namesake, uh, were very discouraging about it. In fact, they began, and this is this is tradition, but they began writing letters of rebuke and warning to him. Mm-hmm. And the letters got more and more severe and critical as it got closer to the wedding. And their biggest fear was, well, once he marries an English girl, he'll, there's no chance that he will ever want to come back Amish. Yeah. And they just kind of hold out that hope that their wayward children will return. But boy, once they get married to an Englisher, then the parents pretty much know it's not going to uh, be any kind of a uh, reunion. And so we, my husband and I, reached out to his parents. We wanted to meet them. We knew that whether they resisted it or not, we're going to be forever uh, interlocked because of our children marrying. Mm-hmm. And we sent them a wedding invitation, which they did not reply to. And nobody in the family of his came, came to the wedding. So fortunate was a, a farm couple who lived across the road who are non-Amish. And they had seen Harvey grow up through the years. And they graciously agreed to come to the wedding and act as uh, the parents of the groom. Mm-hmm. And after the wedding was over, I wrote to his parents again, and I described the 
thing and tried to explain it to him because an English wedding is far different than, than an Amish wedding. Mm-hmm. I thought perhaps they might be interested in the cultural differences mm-hmm. and how we do things. And then I asked that uh, farm couple if they would go across and ask the Amish parents if we might come and visit on a designated day. And we did go and visit and they did invite us into their home. And it was amazing to walk into this Amish home, this very, very strict uh, uh, Amish order. I mean, for me, it was just mind blowing. It was like being in a different country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What was the home? What was the home like? I mean, Tell, describe the, the home. Well, um, they live in what's called the Mommy Dottie house. And Mommy Dottie is the name for Grandma and Grandpa. Mm-hmm. And it's tradition that when parents go through the empty nest, similar to what you're doing, they will then have the oldest child or one of the oldest married children build them a Mommy Dottie house on the same property. Mm-hmm. The uh, parents will then move into the Mommy Dottie house and then the married son or daughter and family will then move into the vacated parents' house. So, uh, and, you know, this is like a few hundred feet away. Yeah. So I think it's kind of a nice idea that they look after aging parents that mm-hmm. way by building them accommodations right on the same property. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but we went to the mommy daddy house and, and uh, Harvey's father invited us in. And he was a rather rotund man with the long long, long beard and the very plain blue denim clothing. And he could look intimidating, but I thought he was nice. And he welcomed us in, told us where to sit. There were no pictures or any adornment or anything on the walls. The curtains were a simple one panel, like a, like a denim blue uh, fabric. And there was no rugs, nothing on the floor, nothing on the walls. Uh, the only thing over the window was the uh, panel of curtain. Mm-hmm. And the chairs were not even rockers. They were straight up and down chairs. Um, because anything that is convenient, they consider worldly. And that is sin. Mm-hmm. So they believe in a tough, hard life, a hardworking life. Uh, you know, the sweat of the brow kind of existence. Mm-hmm. Because that to them is godly. Anything convenient. So like, you know, modern underwear with elastic mm-hmm. is, is worldly. Yeah. Oh, all right. And did they did they give you food, or did they offer you a cup of tea? No. <laughs> all right. No, nope. that was considered to be a frill. Nope. They just sat and talked. Yep. But my husband, <laughs> my and of course, you know, uh, their first language is uh, the Amish language, or a form of uh, like Dutch and German. Mm-hmm. And so English is their second language, and so you can hear a little bit of, a, of an accent when they speak English, but my husband had told Harvey's father that he had grown up on a farm and had an affinity for the outdoor life and asked if he might see their barn. And so the Amish father, yeah, sure. He stood up, put his hat on. Um, They're not supposed to leave their house without a hat, Mm -hmm. nor the woman without at least the cap. And um, he took my husband out to the barn. And then when it was just me and the mother, and uh, she had, you know, like I said, 12 children with Harvey being her baby. She uh, she looked at me and she says, how old are you? And I told her and and they're pretty blunt and outspoken. Um, how old are you? And I told her <laughs> that's not the first thing I would think of asking somebody. But then she looked at me and said, you look too young. You look too young. And I 
I said, well, I had two children. You raised 12. Yeah. <laughs> That's the difference. Yeah. <laughs> she asked me if I wanted to go to the kitchen and, and see her kitchen. And I said, yeah, sure. And so we went out into the kitchen again, just very, very plain, uh, no rugs on the floor, mm-hmm. a very simple, plain, straight leg chair and, and table, um, and then a cabinet and a, you know, a wood burning stove. And she showed me in the cabinet, the dishes they use. Now they don't use, they never use paper plates or anything because that's a convenience. So that would be worldly, but she showed me all the plates that she had received, like from her mother when she first got married. So it was kind of interesting to, to have the privilege to see inside the home. Yeah. Well, and apparently there's power they have electricity in oh, the no. barn no. not not in the barns no okay. not even in the barn oh, okay so this this order doesn't have any electricity at all so you're going to be talking brenda um later on in the year about um the amish and your ex-amish experiences and you're going to be telling stories and describing clothing and stuff could you could you tell us maybe tell us something about um your adopted sons that you had to teach them that you wouldn't ever dream of having to teach an 18 year old um because no. you know you take it for granted as, as we take it for granted that they would grow up knowing that well and again you know these are things that i have learned from experience have observed have heard have have lived with so I'm not appearing to be critical, but just knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. But in my experiences with the, the um, very strict orders of Amish, the parents have the children, but the siblings raise them. And so there isn't a strong parent-child mm-hmm. relationship. And I know a lot of people, you know, romanticize that they're a very tight family. And perhaps some orders and some families are, but not all. And, you know, I don't put an umbrella over the Amish and say they're all the same. That would be as ridiculous as saying all Americans are the same. Mm -hmm. But among these very strict insular orders, the Schwartz and Troopers and some old order Amish, um, there isn't a relationship between parents and children. The parents are the rule makers and uh, they make sure the rules are there and not broken and the children abide by the rules. But as far as warmth, relationship, teaching, uh, that comes from their own siblings. Mm -hmm. So the boys who lived with me and, um, you know, Monroe and Mosey, they honestly weren't taught to say please and thank you. Okay. And so I taught them some of our social behaviors and manners. Um, they did not wear underwear because the Schwartz and Truber boys do not wear underwear. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was in the bathroom one day with uh, Monroe and he was getting ready to go to work. And I said, uh, you don't have underwear on, do you? You know, he had his jeans on. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, no. And I go, mm, yeah, it's going to change. <laughs> so, yeah. So my husband took, took the 17-year-old boy to Penny's store and explained the different types of underwear like you would maybe to a two-year-old toddler. Yeah. And he let Monroe select the type of underwear he might want to try wearing. Yeah. And, of course, now, a year later, gotten used to it but yeah. that see was a cultural learn yeah. for him but yeah. it also was a teaching that we had to do I was going to say hygiene is not taught among the Schwartz and Truber Amish a lot of them do not brush their teeth but maybe once a week like oh. on Saturday night before they go to church on Sunday okay. um, so th- since they're not taught to brush their teeth and they do sometimes start smoking as early as eight and nine years of age 
they have very poor teeth and dental hygiene. And so a lot of them just get their teeth pulled out and get false teeth or will get um, a partial. Mm. So we had to teach them again about dental hygiene and the importance of brushing every day and ideally twice a day and, and just things, again, you'd teach a very young child. What did they bring to your family? Oh, my goodness. Well, they bring a lot of stories. They bring humor and heartache. Um, they bring me a cultural literacy. I am learning so much about this very complex Amish culture. And yes, they do have some admirable qualities, but I'm also learning. It's like I said earlier, you can't just put an umbrella over them and say they're all the same. They're as complex and multifaceted as Americans are. And um, I hope people in Europe don't watch a TV show and think all Americans are like that. <laughs> the stars on a TV show. Oh, and I, think, uh, I think they do, actually. <laughs> Going between the two cultures, you know, they really do. Um, and, and we need to be very conscious of how we're putting our, ourselves out to the world. Um, remember, they have been told everything. They have been told what shoes to wear, what clothes yeah, to yeah. wear, what colors to wear, what horse or buggy to take. They have never been given opportunity to make choices and live by the consequences. So they have very poor decision-making skills. And so here they are, 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, and they're overwhelmed with all the choices that we have that we're used to because we've lived with these choices through our coming up years. Mm -hmm. And so some of them do make poor choices and life-changing choices that will forever affect them. But some of them, fortunately, um, you know, make a little bit healthier choices. Um, so again, the personality, some are very gentle and some are typical, you know, roughhousing farm boys and, you know, ornery little imps. And uh, some of them are extremely quiet. And it could be because of the language barrier or because they just don't know our social behaviors. So they feel very reticent and re Served. Some are very loud and outspoken. It just depends. Again, they're individuals, even though they weren't allowed to express their individuality as on. And, and you say Harvey is the youngest. Is he the only one that has jumped the fence? Harvey, our son-in-law, yes, is yeah. the only one of his family mm -hmm. of 12 children to leave. Mosey, our first somewhat adopted son, he is in the middle of 12 children um, and he's the only one of his family to leave. Mm -hmm. and, and then uh, Sarah and Monroe are actually brother and sister. And Sarah and Monroe and their older brother, Harvey, a different Harvey, yeah. three of them have left. And they, there's only five in the family. Right. So the community will look down on the parents of those children who've left and call them black sheep. And so... If you have a lot of Amish children who leave your family, the community will actually look down on the parents and kind of um, make them a little bit of a social outcast. Right. You say that there aren't these, I suppose, nurturing um, ties between the parents and the children. It's more with the siblings, you know, no. among, among the siblings. No. So are they missing? Who do they miss? They, they, they're not missing parental love. Are they missing their sibling love? What kind of love is the sibling love? I mean, would it be parental? Well, that's a good question. I, I think that would depend on the age gap mm. between them because um, among the Schwartz and Trubers, and again, I just want to remind listeners, I'm talking about the most strict, insular, uh, backward, 
order of Amish, and backward isn't even my word. That's one that an old order Amish called the Schwartz and Troopers. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not talking about every Amish here across the board. I don't want somebody to get all upset and no. call in the show and say, you know, I'm lambasting the Amish. No, I'm giving a highlight to the Schwartz and Truber order, and that is what they call the lowest or the strictest order. And uh, it depends. And um, as far as sibling relationships, see, when women marry, they are prohibited from using any birth control. Mm -hmm. And if they don't begin having children right away, yes, the bishops and the preacher and deacon will ask them about that. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're very much up in your business Mm -hmm. and they'll want to know why you're not immediately having children. And since they cannot use birth control, it's very common for them to have, you know, 12, 15, 18 children and a family. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if they have a baby, but then they all also have a child that's maybe 17 years old, probably that 17-year-old who raises the baby will kind of be like a parent yeah. to them. Are they looking at you as a parent? Because obviously you're nothing like their parents that they've experienced. I'm nothing like, no, I'm nothing no. like a biological parent. Mm-hmm. Of course, my parenting style is probably different than yours or mm-hmm. different than your listeners. Mm-hmm. So again, we allow, allow, we do allow for diversity and differences. Mm-hmm. Um so when they meet me, um, I give them lots of hugs since they've never had physical touching and hugging mm-hmm. from the parent. Mm-hmm. They perhaps have from siblings, mm-hmm. but uh, like Harvey told us, uh, he has never, ever in his growing up years, and he was on Amish until he was 17, never saw his parents embrace. Really? They do not display any public affection. Mm-hmm. So we teased him. Well, obviously, they embraced at least 12 times because they have 12 kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we teased him on that one. But you see, uh, Mosey told us the same thing. He never saw any affection towards uh, one parent to the other, nor towards him. Uh, Monroe's the same way. Oh, good grief. Monroe was living with us maybe a month when one morning he was getting ready for work and I walked out to the garage to say goodbye to him and there was just that nanosecond where we both knew we really did you know love each other you know like a parent and child Mm -hmm. and he just threw open his arms and he hugged me and it was the longest hug like a dry sponge soaking up water Mm -hmm. they just crave parental affection Mm -hmm. and attention and approval Mm -hmm. and they just never got it growing up Mm -hmm. And it breaks my heart as a mother because I know the long-term detriments that can do to the human psyche not to give children, you know, approval and love and a feeling of being welcome and wanted. It's probably why their communities um, are working because they really don't have anywhere else that they can, that they feel that they can go except for the strict order that they have of, of, um, and that's their security, I suppose. Well, Brenda, that's all we have time for this week is go and visit Brenda's blog, Beyond Buggies and Bonnets, which I have linked on my TogiNet show page and on my website, The Sociable Homeschooler. And we'll have part two of this conversation later on, another day, another Friday. So thank you so much, Brenda, for joining me this afternoon. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Well, you have a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Thank you. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. 
Hi everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. I've been talking to Brenda Nixon, parenting expert and popular keynote speaker at events and workshops in 10 states. Brenda and her husband opened up to their hearts and home to the ex-Amish boys they now call sons. We heard stories about how they helped these teenage boys transition into English life under their guiding hands. Brenda is also the author-contributor to more than 30 books, her favourites being The Birth to Five book and Miracles and Moments of Grace. You can find Brenda at Brenda Nixon on Amish blogspot.com, which I have linked on my site and on my front page at Toginet. Brenda and I will be talking again soon, so make sure you tune in every week to my show, The Sociable Homeschooler, where I share my unique lifestyle. You won't want to miss part two of our conversation. Now, the move, as I said, for us was quite stressful by comparison because we really hadn't packed anything. So we had to go back and we had to pack and also go through everything to make sure nothing of value was tucked away in some corner of a closet or chest of drawers. We cleaned out both fridges and freezers, the pantry, and we um, gave the house a last once-over so that the ladies coming in to do the estate sale wouldn't think we were slobs. You know, it's the clean the house before the maids come syndrome. It took us a long time, but by mid-afternoon on Sunday, we were pretty well packed and had loaded the car to the gunnels, and I went for my final walk and thought of what I'd said on my first walk to myself. Take careful note of how you feel now. Well, of course, I didn't take careful note at all, but I'm guessing I told myself, this is your first walk, and before you know it, you'll be taking your last and here I was, indeed, taking my last walk. No matter how difficult a situation is, it does finally come to an end. Not that my situation down there was difficult at all, but it's always ooh, a bit disconcerting when you don't when it's open ended and you don't really know when things are going to come to an end. This fact always caught me by surprise when my blue eyed cowboy went on the road for months at a time. I tell myself that one day, one week, one month at a time would pass, and his homecoming would eventually come round, and it always did. I think the hardest part of life is not knowing the end date of a particular phase. I feel sure I would have enjoyed my stay at the Lake Moor had I known the end date. And I don't really want to know the end date of everything. I'm supposed to live in the moment, but sometimes I wish God would give me a little sneak 
preview of his plans. My mother told me perhaps we wouldn't want to know what the future held, and my grandmother suggested perhaps we wouldn't be able to handle the future if we knew. I say God has plans for me, plans to prosper me, and that's good enough. As I walked, I was thankful for all the peace and quiet I'd enjoyed, and happy I'd made the most of the beautiful walks through the piney woods and around the glistening lakes. I had a feeling of comfort that we had completed what we were called to do during our short stay at Hideaway Lake, and it was time to load me into the front seat, where the cooler was already on the floor at my feet. We both had to sit on pillows, and I had a very heavy bag on my lap, plus a plant I insisted on taking. We looked like the Clampets once again. We went to visit the new household up in Dallas a couple of days later and found my mother-in-law almost settled. There are a few furniture moves yet to be made, but she's laid claim to the areas that are hers, has her fridge stocked, her microwave working, snacks ready for nibbling on, and she offered us a cup of coffee. We had dinner at what is now Rusty, Teresa's and Grandmama's. That made everyone laugh. Now we're here in Richardson for a month, at a hotel that used to be townhomes or condos. We booked a one-bedroom and wondered where I would find my space to write. God listened, and when we arrived, we'd been accidentally booked into a two-bedroom with an upstairs, just until a one-bedroom came available. But I didn't relish the idea of unpacking and then having to move again. So my southern gentleman worked out a discount deal, and we can keep the two-bedroom for the month for not much more than the one bedroom. We're settling in as best we can in a hotel environment. There is daily housekeeping and a deep clean with linen changes once every five days. There's Wi-Fi, there's furniture, and there's breakfast. And I really liked what my guest last week, Alison Botke, said about how important it is for us parents to think of ourselves, especially once our children leave home. They're on the journey of their life and we need to be on ours. No pangs of guilt when they're struggling so much. We've been there, done that, trust me, haven't we? I know I've worked all hours, never seemed to be able to save, hated the way my job interfered with my life. Empty nest may be throwing us into the doldrums at times, especially when our adult children call to vent or ask for help or advice or make silly decisions about their lives. And what I try to do instead of going into knight in shining armour rescue mode, is to step back and offer suggestions, avenues to pursue, ideas to implement. A tip for some of you. If you do this, write your ideas down, because chances are your child, like mine, is calling hands-free from his car on the way to or from work, and doesn't have a pencil and paper or a brilliant memory, which means he'll be calling again with the same questions. Slowly but surely, we not only will be able to let go and think as I do now. I'm so glad I have my life. I really love it. Not only is it exactly where God wants me to be, it's exactly where I want to be too. Of course, I'd love my children to have my secure life too, but they have to grow by finding their own way. That being said, I do enjoy my adult children's company. I enjoy texting back and forth occasionally through the day when it's convenient. In fact, yesterday afternoon, Dorts and I had a lovely text conversation about a relational problem. She prefers not to have post-mortems over every single issue, but some people like post-mortems, and they're good if you want to stop making the same mistakes, especially with someone who's new in your life. Her response is to usually say, enough, end of conversation, don't want to hear any more. She's been asking around for 
advice on how to handle communication, especially miscommunication over text with her new flame. During this particular text conversation, she told me a friend of hers had suggested a book called The Heart of the Five Love Languages. Having heard of it but knowing nothing about it, I looked it up online hoping it wasn't a new agey book, but it's written by a Christian pastor, Gary Chapman, who went to Wheaton College and Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, not too shabby Christian credentials. Emboldened by this recommendation by a peer, I made my own suggestion. I Kiss Dating Goodbye, a book we'd used while homeschooling. She said she didn't have it. I suggested a couple of friends. They didn't have it either, so I suggested Half Price Books. And this morning she texted to say that she had found it at Half Price Books and the lady at Half Price Books had also purchased a copy for herself. And I replied, glad you found the book and shared it. What an evangelist. She said at first they couldn't find it, but then asked if it was Christian. She said, absolutely. So then they found it right away. And I loved that. What a beautiful example of how when I let go and let God, this happens. I often say to friends and study groups that I attend, the chances are we won't be the ones who turn our children around. It won't be us who causes their road to Damascus encounter or their aha moment. It'll be someone else. Dort's friend led her to a godly solution to her relationship problem. I could have spouted books. They would have been Christian and she may have said, nah, mom, and ignored me. Take heart. I could be the voice another child hears, and you could be the voice my child hears. So let yours go. Find God for yourself and pursue your passion, your dream, and let your children pursue his or hers, and let God do what he does best. And that's it for another week. Once again, I've astounded myself by the fleetingness of time. Unpacking and finding places for odd bits and pieces takes such a long time, sometimes days. But this show just scurries past before I know I've begun. This week, I have a lot of writing and recording to do to prepare for our move to Florida. Maybe we'll go see a film. I've heard Noah is good. Stations at the Big Church tonight here in Dallas, followed by Fish on this Meatless Friday. Thank you for listening to Sociable Homeschooler, where the lifestyle is a unique one. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'll be back same time, same place next Friday. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, my producer, Sabrina, my guest this week, Brenda Nixon, and you, my faithful listeners. Stay tuned all the time to Toginet and catch lots of great shows to help you through your day. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who were willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So, we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.